you're listening to the hybrid cloud forecast series with host andre tost hello and welcome to today's episode of the hybrid cloud forecast today the topic is hybrid cloud on the edge and i'm glad that we have rob high with us today thanks for joining us rob yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Rob is an IBM fellow, and he's our CTO of Edge Computing. Um, but why don't you tell us kind of a bit more about your background and how you got to be where you are today, Rob? Uh, well, uh, right before taking this responsibility uh, for Edge Computing and now Network Computing, I was also CTO for IBM Watson and, and uh, had the privilege of kind of guiding the technical strategy for our AI and and machine learning business, products and, and business for really kind of the first six years of that business unit. Prior to that, I was uh, involved with uh, SOA, was the chief architect for our SOA foundation. And before that, I was the chief architect for WebServer and the WebServer application server. So I've uh, had a long history with the uh, cloud pack, hybrid cloud automation space, even before, even before we called it all those things. Yeah. And in, in terms of full disclosure, Rob and I have been working together for, I don't know, more years than I can remember. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so obviously topic here is hybrid cloud, right? And edge. And so that's something that uh, uh, we we obviously want to do a deeper dive into. And maybe we can start out by basically getting your definition of both of them, right? So your definition of what is hybrid cloud and then poking exactly at edge and how that contributes to this overall notion of a hybrid cloud. Yeah. Okay. Well, Hybrid cloud for me begins with a realization that most of our customers today have an existing investment in their own IT data centers. They have investments not in just one, but many different hyperscale cloud providers. And in fact, there's an emerging number of variations of where they might locate their the core information processing of their business. And so hybrid cloud is a response to that sort of market reality that notwithstanding the growth of cloud computing, it's still a, you know, it's a mixed up world that involves many different potential variations of how IT data centers are placed and structured. You know, our cloud packs, which, you know, serve the hybrid cloud marketplace, Red Hat, both RHEL and, and more importantly, OpenShift, that provides a foundation for uh, our cloud packs is designed specifically to enable for portability between all the different variations in which IT organizations may structure their information systems and the processing capabilities that they're using to support their business. And, you know, it's interesting in that we usually start out, and that's been somewhat of a common theme on this on this podcast, that we start out with thinking of hybrid cloud as a location, right? To say, where does it run? It runs in, in the cloud or it runs on-prem. But then we usually discover that hybrid cloud is, is an architectural style where, where it runs. I mean, the answer is it runs in all kinds of places, right? And that's... Yeah. And it really goes more into how do I apply cloud computing characteristics to the applications and workloads. But but I don't want to lose sight of this point of edge. You know, how, how does edge plug into that? Because I guess edge is all about location, right? Well, Edge is really kind of extending that same thought and, and recognizing that there has been for really decades now, but even more so a, an accelerated consumption of compute in locations outside of IT data centers and, and clouds. If you take your average retailer, they have compute in their stores. There's compute on factory floors and in distribution centers and warehouses. There's compute uh, now in our vehicles. Uh, the average car today has 
somewhere between 50 and 100 or 200 CPUs. Now, they're not well, you know, architected into a coherent compute platform, but, you know, there's already a tremendous amount of compute capacity there. And the automobile manufacturers are all in the process at some very stage of re-architecting their vehicles to consolidate the compute there. So we have compute in places that we wouldn't even think of. And for an enterprise, the question is, how do you take advantage of the compute? You know, that compute exists for very specific reasons. It, it, there is a penalty that comes from having your compute, you know, physically remote from where you're doing your production work. Uh, if you're a factory and you've got production processes on your factory floor and you're trying to keep track of you know, the quality of parts that are coming off an assembly machine uh, or coming off a welding machine and you, know, you need to be able to monitor you know, those parts, you're taking you know, visual images of those parts and, and using that to inspect the quality of the work that's being done. And you're transmitting all that data back up to a cloud or some central IT data center. Physical dif- distance matters here. It, it adds latency. The average latency, round-trip latency for a uh, data that's created on the factory floor like that and the analysis that needs to form for it in the cloud is somewhere between 100 and 500 milliseconds. And if you've got you know, an assembly machine that's putting out parts at, let's say, you know, 100 parts per minute, time matters. Right. You may not have, you know, half a second um, before that part has moved on to the next station and where if there's a quality problem, you have to kick that out. So, you know, the laws of physics matter and that's what's driving the the need and the desire to do that compute locally, you know, right there on the factory floor. The other thing is is bandwidth, you know, the the, the cost of transmitting that data, besides, you know, ignoring for a moment the cost of the network itself. I mean, to go to ATT or Verizon or Vodafone or any of these other carriers and ask for bandwidth is an expensive proposition. But, you know, on top of that, then you go to the hyperscale cloud providers and you get charged with ingress fees. And if the amount of data that you're generating on your factory floor, and especially with things like video, where a 4K video camera will generate a 20 megabit per second uh, video stream, you know, that could be excessive over time. If the only thing that you need out of the video stream is that one image that showed the quality problem on the part that's coming off your your, uh, line, what do you do with all the other, you know, data? We're transmitting all that up to the cloud, then you're spending, sending a lot of, you know, not useful information up to the cloud. Data that really is just going to get filtered out. So if you can do the compute locally, then you can reduce that traffic, you can reduce the cost of overhead of transmitting it. You can protect the privacy of personal information that may have been captured in that video, images of other employees on the factory floor, or or even worse, well, not necessarily worse, but but also uh, the the potential for for risking the status of your factory floor production. You know, if that's captured in the image, because you can see in that image what products are coming off of whatever other lines are in that field of view, that could be used for espionage. That could be used to. to know the state of your competition if you could get into that. So, you know, when you transmit that kind of data, you you increase the risk of exposing that kind of personal and private information. And so for all those reasons, people wanted to bring their compute closer to where the data is being generated and where the actions or the decisions are being made. So do you think when, so this is obviously somewhat of an, uh, a very broad notion of hybrid cloud as far as location is concerned, saying it's not even just limited to more traditional forms of IT, and it can go out into all kinds of form factors and appliances and what have you. Now, do you think that, or do most of the enterprises that you work with, do they think of these of these outposts, if you will, as part of their, is it part of their holistic view of what their hybrid cloud environment is, or are they mostly isolated systems? And then the, the discussion is about how to pull that in. Traditionally not. Traditionally, these 
compute sort of islands, if you will, have existed, like we've said, for the last several decades. But rapidly, people are shifting their mindset and they're realizing that the practices for software engineering that we exercise in the cloud or the hybrid cloud, you know, the idea of cloud native development and containers and componentization and the separation of concerns and, and loose coupling that comes along with that, the, the idea of, of CICD and, and DevOps or DevSecOps, the idea of agile development practices, all those things that we, we now sort of associate very closely with cloud native development practices have advantage to all these other places where people want to conduct their can do compute as well. And if I can run an open shift cluster on, let's say, three compute nodes on a, in the factory floor, or if it's even more constrained, then perhaps all I'm running is you know, the Docker runtime or the Podman runtime on a RHEL or, or Linux-based uh, operating system on a small device. I'm still dealing with containers and I can still kind of take those same practices that we associate with the hybrid cloud and extend them out to the edge. That's sort of the, the, the major departure, the distinction between the traditions that have existed around computer the, at these, in these locations, these remote on-premise locations, and now what we call edge computing. We assume that edge computing implies cloud-native development practices brought into these remote locations. Okay, so does that mean directly if I have a CI/CD DevSecOps pipeline that I'm pushing updates to an application out all the way to the edge and it's all plugged together? That's certainly the aspiration, and that's that's sort of the architecture that people are looking for in edge computing. Now, of course, we have to recognize edge computing is a little bit different than cloud computing in a couple of important ways. Number one, you know, cloud computing, whether that's in a hyperscale cloud environment or in a private IT data center, carries with it the idea that we're trying to get virtually infinite, we're trying to get elastic scalability over virtually infinite resources. Of course, there, there's never actually infinite resources, but, you know, we give that impression and to be able to accomplish that and to get good economies of scale, we've we have to assume that there's a high degree of homogeny in the cloud. There's lots and lots of servers, but they all kind of look the same. There's lots and lots of storage, but it all looks the same. The networks are all kind of configured to be interchangeable in many ways. When you get up to the edge, you don't find that kind of homogeny. Everything's very diverse. We get ARM chip-based devices. We get x86-based devices. We get clusters and machines that have 4 gig or 18, 16 gig or 32 gig of memory, 8 or 16 or 32 cores. We also get very small devices. Industrial robots or intelligent cameras today, you know, maybe have an ARM chip with sometimes as little as quarter gig of memory. So diversity is the norm at the edge. The other thing that is, is the norm is, is dynamism. Yes, we move workloads around in the cloud, but they're, you know, being moved fairly locally and mostly through elastic scaling. At the edge, are you dealing with equipment that physically moves, cars, for example, forklifts, tractors, trains, you know, rolling stock and so forth. But you're also dealing with with stuff that gets reconfigured on the fly. You'll have a field upgrade. Somebody will add or subtract memory. Somebody will add a GPU. Somebody will attach peripheral devices. Um, somebody will reconfigure the network cards, et cetera, you know, in the field. Or you also get a lot of repurposing of equipment. Uh, you know, if you're a factory manager and you're running a production run and you've got a piece of machinery that goes down, you know, you're going to swap out that machine. You're not going to wait for an IT change control to go through before you swap it out. And if there's software on that machine that is part of the job you were performing, the, the production job you were performing, and it needs to be updated because instead of looking for the quality of metal boxes, you're now looking for the quality of metal trash cans or whatever the change was. You know, that change has to happen even without any IT intervention. And 
And in some ways, you can say, well, that's very similar to orchestration across a cluster. But in many ways, it's different because you, you have to have a higher understanding of the purpose of that software. The same software could be used for two different purposes, but it'll get configured differently or be configured with different machine learning models, for example. So you got dynamism, diversity, you got security issues. You know, the attack services at the edge are very different than those that we have in hybrid cloud or traditional IT data centers and in cloud data centers. You don't have four walls protecting the compute. You got people walking around this stuff all day long. Got uh, some of the stuff is out in the wild. It's in the public. It's in uh, airport uh, lobbies and it's in train stations and it's on the roadside in places where people can make you know, physical changes that would undermine the, the trust basis for the system. Or, or oil pipelines, right? I mean, that's where it struck me just recently how um, a, a, a hack could take down, you know, the entire pipeline system. That's right. That's right. And I don't know enough about how that, that hack got entered into the system, but it's very conceivable. They just simply walked into some control station somewhere along the pipeline in Georgia somewhere. Who knows? And, uh, and, and inserted something. But the point is that uh, those, you know, the diversity, the dynamism, the security exposures are very different than what we find at in the cloud. And so therefore we have to address those differently. And unless we solve those problems of how to get the right software to the right place at the right time in the midst of that diversity and dynamism and security exposure, you know, it's, we're going to see a repeat of, well, the date myself, the client server days, right? Where, you know, this idea of distributed computing was really hot, but yet people couldn't, couldn't manage it. They couldn't manage the complexity. And now we've got, instead of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of uh, servers that, like we did in the client server day, you know, we now have billions, you know, Literally, we think there's probably close to 15 billion edge devices in market already today. We think that goes to 150 billion by in the next few years. So orders of magnitude, more equipment, more compute spaces, and therefore all the inherent complexities that come along with that kind of um, scale uh, that we didn't have. Does that what you what you described earlier sounded like? I guess where you're drawing the line for edge computing is it needs to be able to run some logic, right? It needs to have a processor that can execute something, or does it go all the way into, I guess, what we used to call IoT, right? Sensors and things like that, that are just delivering data, but don't necessarily run applications. Well, we do assume that there has to be some sort of compute capability and that that's going to be based on some sort of commodity architecture like x86 or ARM. Of course, we also see a lot of GPUs out there as well. But, and so that distinguishes it from the classic definition of IoT, you know, this, the kinds of equipment that was just a dumb sensor that was internet connected and you would, you know, collect all the sensor data and bring it back to the cloud location. But it's also interesting to watch that a lot of the equipment manufacturers who created those IoT devices in the past are finding it, it economically beneficial to now use general purpose compute. Instead of having a specialized ASIC, it's cheaper just to go get a bunch of ARM chips and use that. And even if it isn't necessarily required right away, it's from an economy of scale standpoint, it can be cheaper. But then add to that this idea that a software-defined product can be enhanced merely by updating the software in it. And of course, we've had that too in the form of embedded systems, but now leveraging sort of, again, the commoditization that's occurred around, around cloud-native development practices as a gold standard for software engineering and you got a different game right so that thing that used to just simply be a temperature sensor transmitting temperature data back to, to some central location is is a thermostat and can i can do analytic on a thermostat to see the range of what's normal you know a normal series of temperature changes and what's a abnormal and, and that anomaly can be alerted and I can do all that right there on the thermostat or 
or the temperature gauge. And so, and I can enhance it. I can add more analytics. I can extend that analytics. And all I'm doing is updating a container, adding more containers. And that's like an enormously powerful idea. So, and so I guess what we're getting to is that there, there's, there, there is a special operational model around this, which is primarily also driven by scale and, and, and distance. And I think you mentioned dynamism uh, a couple of times. So if, for example, it's fresh in my mind, I just drove my car and it basically all of a sudden in the middle of me driving it, a window pops up saying, I've just updated all your system software. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, wow. You know, so so that leads me to a question. Is there somebody somewhere who is looking at all the cars and is pushing a button and saying, we're going to push this update down or, you know, because the, the scale is important or you mentioned grocery stores, right? Or in, in, in retail, if you have an open shift cluster in, in every branch, so to speak, then that creates challenges for the operational model in terms of how do I keep it all together? Yeah. And this is where automation comes in. You know, it's inconceivable that an administrator can sit down and ensure that the right software containers are on the right devices when you're what you're dealing with are thousands or tens of thousands or even millions. I mean, you know, again, going back to the automobile industry, if the automobile industry is is now containerizing and and enabling compute on their vehicles, well, how do you how do you get the right software to the right place when everybody's in a different state? You know, has a different model of car, has a different set of features, perhaps has a set of personal preferences. You know, how do you do that for a million cars? And you can't do that with just simple deterministic management, where a person sits down and says, "Well, I want the software on that machine," and this stuff on this other machine. You have to use autonomous systems. That's where, you know, the work that we did around, you know, the Open Horizon open source project and then commercializing that with the IBM Application Manager comes in because it creates an autonomous system that takes responsibility for ensuring the right software gets, gets put in the right place at the right time and kept up to date in a world of changing conditions. And in many ways, this is a very natural segue off of our AI ops and, and automation approaches to managing IT systems amplified, obviously, to orders of magnitude more scale and uh, and more complexity in many ways. Uh, and of course, you know, to do to do that well, we've had to simplify many of the assumptions that we put into the features of the system. But on the other hand, uh, it's that autonomous approach to management, which is key to be able to deal with. Uh, the complexities of these kinds of systems. Okay, I want to I want to talk about technology a little bit. So first of all, I don't think my car is running an OpenShift cluster quite yet. <laughs> maybe maybe it will in the future. But uh, you mentioned it a couple of times, right? So then the question is, how do I do application development, for example, for the edge? What does that even mean? And I guess one advantage of saying I'm going to run it in containers is the portability of, of a container and also the fact that it's very lightweight, so I can put it in many different places. Would you would you agree? agree with that is that so is container is a containerized environments kind of from the ground up something that's attractive for for edge development yeah in, in fact it's particularly attractive because otherwise the old style of creating a vm image and managing things through that are so monolithic that it, it's slowing down the the rate of innovation that many of our enterprise customers are, are trying to achieve so so to answer your question the development practice is exactly what you just said is creating containers um and yes you will find kubernetes i you know, we're arguing that it should be OpenShift, but you will find Kubernetes at least. And, or if not Kubernetes, then at least you're going to find a Docker runtime hosted in your vehicle in the next, in the near future, uh, in the next few years. The, like I said, the automobile manufacturers are all going through a re-architecture, uh, you know, analysis right now. 
And I don't care whether that's Daimler or BMW or Ford or GM or you know, Mitsubishi or any of them. They're all kind of looking at, you know, how do they take all the compute capability in the vehicle and get a little bit more effective and efficiency out of it by first consolidating around a set of general purpose commodity compute infrastructure. And then on that, you know, the, there's a debate, there's a raging debate as to whether they will just run Linux and Docker or that they'll run, you know, Kubernetes. And then, and then of course, we're trying to position Red Hat as being the preferred Linux and container runtime of choice, whether that's through Podman or through OpenShift. But yeah, so everything that you knew about building an application for, you know, classic hybrid cloud IT data centers and cloud computing centers uh, applies now to creating applications running in, in the edge. The difference, you know, there are some differences. There's, um, you know, when you're in the edge, you have to be mindful that you are dealing with constrained resources. You don't have virtually infinite like you would in cloud. You have to be mindful of the fact that you're running in an island that may or may not be connected to everything else all the time. And so, you know, if you remember in the old world of uh, distributed computing, we used to talk about local remote transparency or remote local transparency. You have to build for that, right? You have to build into your application the logic that allows you to continue to run gracefully even when you can't connect to the services that you would otherwise depend on. And which also puts an emphasis on the importance of things like asynchronous messaging-based communication between services. So there's a few things you have to be mindful of, but for all intents and purposes, it's the same as creating a container anywhere else. Okay. And then if I go past that, you know, I sometimes jokingly say when in the world of cloud computing, 80% of it is security and networking, right? And I think, and you kind of alluded to that earlier, that those are two big important topics in the world of edge as well, right? Is there, I mean, what are the, and, and I guess it starts with saying everything is software defined, right? It starts with software defined. Of course, we have to, you know, we have to be very careful about a root of trust in the edge because, like I say, you don't have the benefit of locking nefarious people out of the physical environment. That said, there are some similarities, you know, obviously when we're doing intrusion detection, we're doing that by collecting up lots of, you know, log data from which we can analyze for anomalous behaviors that might be indicative of somebody having attacked the system and, and then automated the remediation processes around it. The difference being, number one, you're dealing with you know, again, orders of magnitude, more of these, your remediation behaviors are in part around, you know, shutting down the software or patching the software or things like that. But also in part, it could be simply isolating, using the network to isolate that machinery while you can recover it. So there's some, a few more remediation options that you have availability at the edge that you might not have available as easily in, in the cloud. But you're also dealing with, you know, a lot more of these locations and therefore you know the data that you're dealing with is orders of magnitude more in the analysis on the networking side this is a very interesting and again an issue that we have to solve because you know what has happened for network operations teams in most enterprise organizations is you know they had a, a complex but relatively speaking simple problem to deal with in the past you know they basically had to create connections between their it data centers and ensure they were secured. And a lot of times they could rely on their network operators to provide them the underlying, the underlay network that was necessary to, to be able to do that. Then they got a little bit more complicated because then they added in their data, you know, their hyperscale um, cloud data providers. If you only had one, you only had to deal with one connection from, you know, one place perhaps to, to one, one cloud. But then if you got multiple data centers and now you got multiple cloud providers, you're getting into an M by M problem that, 
network operators have to deal with, uh, network operations has to deal with, excuse me. But now add to that, you know, I've got 1800 retail stores that I got to connect to, you know, five different IT data centers and three different hyperscale cloud providers with two or three different locations per hyperscaler. And that in by M, you know, becomes expect exponentially more complicated. So trying to turn that the complexity of that problem into something that's simple for enterprise network operations is really our next major challenge. And and really the reason why, you know, IBM recently formed a new business unit uh, called software-defined networking. Uh, and it was essentially to help our network operations clients uh, deal with that complexity. Okay, I'm going to show a bit of my ignorance here in, in terms of how does this innovation happen? And the, the, another common theme, I think, that's kind of being established here across all the episodes in this podcast is that uh, more and more of the work happens out in the open, um, in open source and open community in a really transparent kind of way. And I, I guess I'd be surprised to hear you say otherwise. But I mean, so the, I, I assume there's relevant standards bodies that are driving technologies and innovations forward in this space? Yeah. So the Linux Foundation has a, an organization called the LF Edge that's dedicated to standardizing the software that's needed to support edge computing scenarios. IBM Edge Application Manager is a commercial distribution of the Open Horizon open source project, which has been um, standardized at the LF Edge. So Open Horizon, Crano, Fledge, SDO, there's a number of these projects that now exist within the Linux Foundation that are being standardized. In our particular case, Open Horizon, you know, we initially donated that. It was uh, Mac Devine and his uh, applied sciences team that created the original technology there. We donated that to the Linux Foundation. We're still the primary contributor to it, but it is a growing ecosystem. And we do have other vendors that are now, that are now participating in uh, both creating and extending innovation within Open Horizon. And that's for the, sort of the foundational stuff. And of course, as I indicated before, in most of these cases for edge computing, we're running on top of Linux and Kubernetes and Docker. So or Docker OCA compliant container runtimes. And Red Hat being an ideal example of a commercial distribution of all those. Red Hat of Enterprise Linux with their embedded Podman support gives us you know an enterprise class Linux with an OCA compliant container runtime. OpenShift, of course, is a uh, is a commercial distribution of the Kubernetes uh, open source. And then above that, you know, the things that are being created to run in these edge environments are also being created in many cases through open source. Middleware is, of course, things like Kafka and, and uh, you know, Couch and all the other things that we typically find in middlewares are fairly popular as open source projects that they use in these edge computing scenarios. And along with all the commercial distribution variants of those, a new project was just created at LF Edge called Aura. The open retail reference architecture is a, an attempt in the retail industry to create a platform architecture and support retail use cases. And, and along with that comes a, a, a range of ecosystem partners that are now building retail-based solutions that are getting to gravitate around these, these points of commonality. So yeah, open source is just as important and just as vibrant in the edge community, edge computing space as they are in anywhere else that we deal with. Okay. You know, and this, this is another thing that happens to me a lot when doing these podcasts is I'm thinking, I'm starting to question my career choices. I'm thinking, that sounds really exciting. Maybe I should get into that, right? That sounds like a really interesting space, you know, especially the part with putting an, a Kubernetes cluster on my car, you know, that's something that could excite. Um, <laughs> we're we're pretty much out of time here, but I don't want to let you go without asking one more question, and that is about and maybe maybe this is really kind of the summary of all the things you've been telling us about. But I wonder specifically, is there what what is it that you're working on right now that gets you excited? That gets you you know can't wait to get to work in the morning. That that gets you up and going. 
Well, so two things. One is putting IBM on the map for edge computing. And and we're in a very interesting position because the only other real players in the edge computing space are the other hyperscalers. And they're kind of coming at it with a what we call the cloud out motion, which more or less says if you want to buy into Microsoft's edge strategy, you had to first buy into Microsoft Azure. Now, if you're already there, that's great, right? If you've got an account on Azure and you've got your applications and data there and you want to take the experiences that you've become accustomed to, then Azure Stack at the edge is a great thing for you. Same thing with Amazon. If you're an AWS customer and, and now you want to come up to the edge, you know, using Outposts is a, is a huge benefit for you. But that's not the majority of our customers. The majority of our customers have multiple cloud providers and they don't want to be locked into any one of them. And they want to be able to get some portability. And so with Red Hat's OpenShift, we create this very nice foundation on which we can provide portability, not only between different hyperscale cloud providers and not only between cloud providers and IT data centers, but also now all the way out to the edge and further extended within, as I said, RHEL with Podman. And, and, and then on top of which, you know, we've got this really strong tradition and respect in the marketplace around hybrid cloud and the idea that we're not just at the container runtime level, but all the way up through our software middleware stacks, all the way up into automation and our management infrastructures, you know, cloud agnostic and that we can enable our enterprise customers to retain a high degree of portability, even when they're moving moving out to the edge. And so I think that reputation is great. The second thing that is motivating me right now is all of the vertical, the vertical industry solutions that are coming to bear. When we take Maximo uh, safety, Maximo asset performance management, at Maximo visual inspection, some of the work that's being done in GBS around uh, production optimization, around production quality, around worker safety, these are really powerful ways of accelerating time to value for our clients. Add to that then, you know, our ecosystem partners, whether those are GSI partners, and I won't name them all because I'll, I'm sure I'll leave somebody out in them, or all of our ISV partners. And with the work that, you know, Arvin's now doing and Rob is doing to encourage us to, to really invest heavily in our ecosystem, I think it puts us in a very interesting position to serve our clients. And uh, I know they put ourselves on the map, but really help the entire industry get utility out of this idea of called edge computing. All right. Very cool. With that, I think we did indeed run out of time, even though now I'm thinking maybe at some point we should uh, think about doing a part two of this, because I feel like there's there's a whole bunch of things we didn't even get to. So may maybe I'll ask you back for a, for an encore, so to speak. But um, thanks a lot for the conversation today, Rob. That was, that was great insight. Yeah, good, Andre. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for setting this up. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap up, wrap up today's episode. Uh, thank you all for listening and hope to see you all soon.